Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Now, like many of you, I'm absolutely habitual about most things when it comes to my aquariums. I'm all about continuous, regular maintenance and dedicated husbandry practices, particularly water exchanges, for which I think there's simply no substitute or no valid reason not to execute. However, there is one basic aspect of aquarium keeping that I always have employed a bit of intentional avoidance of, and that's feeding. You're like, what? Feeding? Skip a damn water change, but feeding? Really? Yeah, really. Now, before you totally flame me for being hypocritical or lazy or even guilty of benign neglect, hear me out. It's not really about being lazy. It's an intentional thing. I plan for it. In fact, you probably do too, even though you may not be thinking about it. Yeah, you do. Stay with me here. So, of all the things we do in our Blackwater Botanical-style aquariums, one of the few best basic practices that I think we can all actually seed some of the work to nature for is to have her provide some sustenance for our fishes. Think about it. We load up our systems with large quantities of leaves and botanicals, and they serve as direct food for some of our aquatic organisms like shrimp and perhaps barbs and loaches. They also serve as a medium upon which other food sources accumulate and reproduce. Yeah, most botanicals famously recruit biofilm, algae patinas, and fungal growths, which uh, we've discussed ad nauseum here over the years, right? These are nutritious, natural food sources for most fishes and invertebrates. And of course, there are the associated microorganisms which feed on the decomposing botanicals and leaves and the resulting detritus. All of these are important food sources in nature, and they fulfill a similar role in the aquarium. Now, we've briefly talked about how decomposing leaf litter supports, you know, populations of infusoria, a collective term used by biologists over the years to describe minute aquatic creatures such as ciliates, euglenoids, protozoa, and unicellular algae and small invertebrates that exist in freshwater ecosystems. Yet, there's not, you know, much written about it recently in the aquarium world. There's a ton to explore on it. And it's no secret or surprise to most aquarists who've played with botanicals that a tank with a healthy leaf litter component is a pretty good place for rearing of fry. Now, it's been observed by many aquarists, particularly those who breed loricarids and catfishes and so forth, that their fry have significantly higher survival rates when reared in systems with leaves present. Now, this is interesting to me because I'm sure some of the success could be attributed to the population of infusoria, as we mentioned before, that are just simply present within the system as leaves break down. And of course, these are readily available also to the fishes. And there's also a lot of biofilm, as we discussed, which contain a complex mix of sugars, bacteria, and other materials, all of which are highly nutritious for animals which feed on them. So it would therefore make a lot of sense that a botanical-style aquarium with a respectable growth of biofilm would be a great place to rear fry. Maybe not the most attractive place from an aesthetic standpoint, but a system where the little guys are essentially knee-deep in supplemental natural food at any given time is a beautiful thing to the busy fish breeder and a welcome site for fry. And you don't have to worry about necessarily polluting a system, right? With excessive amounts of artificial food or whatever. And yeah, my experience indicates it performs a similar role for the adults of many species as well. Even a more aesthetically focused botanical-style aquarium can perform a supplementary food generation role if given the chance to do so. In the wild, tropical, leaf-litter-fueled ecosystems that we love so much, creatures like mites, insects, chironomids, which are bloodworms, and copepods like Daphnia are the dominant fauna that fishes tend to feed on. And you see those gut content analysis of fishes which inhabit leaf litter beds. It reveals a lot of interesting things about, you know, what they eat. For one thing, in addition to the above referenced organisms that I just mentioned here, 
organic detritus, our friend, and what are called undefined plant materials are not uncommon in the diets of all sorts of fishes. This is interesting to contemplate when we consider what to feed our fishes in the aquarium, isn't it? It is. These life forms, both planktonic and insect, tend to feed off the leaf litter bed itself as well as fungi and bacteria present in them as they decompose, just like the fishes that are found there. And of course, there's interconnectivity between various levels of life forms creates the basis for a fascinating and surprisingly productive food web. Now, food webs are defined as a system of interlocking or independent food change, and they're fascinating constructs in nature. The leaf litter bed is a surprisingly dynamic one, and one might even say it's a rich little benthic biotope contained within the otherwise so-called impoverished waters that surround it. And as we've discussed before on these pages, it should come as no surprise that a large and surprisingly diverse assemblage of fishes make their homes within and closely adjacent to these leaf litter beds. There are little food oases in an otherwise area relative in an area otherwise devoid of food. Boy, did I trip over that sentence, right? <laughs> now the fishes are not just there to look at the pretty leaves; they're there to eat. And I'll be redundant again <laughs> and assert that it goes without saying that nature works, if allowed to do so, in a similar manner in the aquarium. The leaves and botanicals that we add to our aquariums do what they've done in nature for eons. They support the basis for a rich and diverse food web, which enables many of the resident life forms, from bacteria to insects, right up to our fishes, to derive some, if not all, of their sustenance from this milieu. I'm not an aquatic ecologist or a biologist, but based on my years of playing with botanicals in an aquarium, I firmly believe that we can at least construct or facilitate a significant portion of a food web in our aquariums. I've seen my fishes forage among botanicals and decomposing leaves. I've seeded leaf litter beds with cultures of microorganisms. They're finding food there. And I'm not talking about decomposing tetramen flakes either. Okay, confession time? Okay. I've created botanical tanks for years with part of the intention being to see if I can support the resident fishes with minimal external food inputs. In other words, I do not provide any supplemental feeding for my fishes other than what they can derive from foraging within the aquarium itself. My rationale was that not only will the leaves and botanicals foster a rudimentary food web similar to what they do in nature, but that the lower amount of external food inputs by the aquarist helps foster a cleaner, biologically lean system, which is especially important when one takes into account the large amount of bioload, i.e. decomposing leaves and botanicals, which are in there in the first place. Sort of like enhanced sustainability for minimalism. And guess what? It works just fine. Really. I've done this now like... I'd say about eight times in the past three years with great results every time, including an uncommon spawning event with the green neon tetra, Paracaridon simulans. A beautiful case in point is one of my recent little off office aquariums, which was basically just a leaf litter aquarium. It was nano tank, literally scaped only with Texas live oak litter, leaf litter and a little bit of mangrove leaves and maybe some oak twigs. Now, I know that tank's not everybody's idea of, you know, aesthetic perfection. It's not groundbreaking. I mean, it's essentially a pile of fucking leaves. However, to fishes and other life forms which reside in the tank, it's their world. It's their food source, too. And it's quite reminiscent of the habitats from which they come. I stocked the tank with some cultures of paramecium, daphnia, and other small crustaceans, allowed them to settle in and reproduce a bit before introducing the fishes. That's the secret to success with this technique. I maintained a shoal of... There's 25 uh, green neon tetras in this tank. The tank was set up and ran for about six months without a single external food input since the fish were added to the tank. They were subsisting entirely on the epiphytic matter and microorganisms found in the leaves, nothing else. And they were as active, fat, and happy as any green neons I've ever seen. Oh, and about four months into the experiment, they engaged in a group spawning activity. Yeah, they thrived. 
In fact, they more than doubled in size since the time when I first, you know, obtained them. And some of the fishes were a little bit thin and, you know, quite emaciated on arrival. They were wild fishes, and they were rehabilitated somewhat in quarantine, but weren't 100% when I placed them into the display tank. And I know that's not the best practice, of course, but it was perfect for this experiment. And after a few weeks, I couldn't tell them apart from the rest of the fish. They were all kind of fat and happy. Now, sure, this was a relatively small population of little fishes in a small tank. Um, the environment itself was carefully monitored, and regular water exchanges and testing were employed. The usual stuff we do in an aquarium, except for feeding. And of course, I have no illusions about this, and I don't think that such a success could be duplicated with fishes like cichlids or large predatory you know, fishes, unless you had a huge aquarium with a significant pre-stuck population of larger crustaceans, you know, gamorous and insects, and maybe even... I don't know, feeder-type fishes. I hate saying that, but something of that nature. I mean, I suppose you could do that with them. I haven't tried it myself. However, I'm certain that this is a viable and a successful approach with smaller fishes like Harrison's Raspora, Danios, some catfishes, loaches, etc., the so-called micro-predators. I believe this concept is entirely you know, replicable by just about any course that takes the time to think it through. If you set it up for success, deploy some patience, and monitor it regularly, it can be successful with many different fishes. It's not some miracle or some earth-shattering new discovery for the hobby. Rather, it's just observing what goes on in nature and applying it to the aquarium. It's the intentionally evolved sibling of those overgrown jungle rearing tanks of my youth. It's simply a practical application of our work with botanical materials. It's certainly a bit contrary to the standard aquarium practice, I suppose, to some extent. However, it's not all that radical a concept, right? I mean, it's essentially allowing nature to do what she does best, cultivate an ecosystem, which she will if given the impetus and if left to her own devices, and if we don't edit her work too much. And it's not really benign neglect. It's about understanding. It's about studying the wild habitats from where, which our fishes come from. It's about patience, discipline, and diligence. It's about setting up an aquarium specifically to optimize this function. It's about faith in nature. It's the facilitating of a process which has been going on for eons, a validation of what we experiment with on a daily basis in our tinted little corner of the world. It's that functionally aesthetic thing again, right? Yeah, it is. Perhaps the ultimate expression of this idea. And I invite you to experiment for yourself with this really fascinating and compelling idea. It's something we should all at least think about. Stay thoughtful, stay curious, stay patient, stay skeptical, stay observant, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman. Thanks very much for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.